Welcome to Brian Talks to Humans, a people's podcast about everyday people. It's about five in the morning on the uh, Tuesday after I recorded this episode's interview on a Saturday. I've been up for probably a little over two hours because I went to bed early and didn't take my sleeping pills. So that means that I get up super early, even before the dogs. It's raining out. I don't know that I've mentioned it, but I get leaky ceilings because uh, my landlord won't fix the stuff. So I decided this morning that I'm going to use duct tape. So I put duct tape over some spots where it leaks. I put some duct tape over the, the big leak, which has turned into you know, a gaping hole in the living room ceiling. And so far, either the rain has stopped or it's working and nothing's leaking. And I've got my cup of coffee with me as I speak to you. Before we uh, get started with today's episode, I need to uh, do a trigger warning for some folks out there. Um, in this episode, we talk about uh, sexual abuse. There are no details of any sex acts, but we talk about how it started and why it continued and how Rob, the, the victim of the abuse, felt about all this and the, sort of the effects that it had on him. So keep that in mind if you're going to choose to uh, continue listening. So this episode, I talked to Rob. He's a friend I know in um, you know 12-step circles. I think he's an interesting guy. We talk about him getting sober uh, and him coming out of a 17-year relationship into a queer community that's a little more complicated than when he was younger and a dating world that is affected by the impersonality of technology. He even tries to turn the tables on me a little bit, and I let him as we talk about uh, relationships in general and that sort of thing. Remember to stay tuned after the interview. You can hear one of my award-winning uh, outros, where I also ask uh, you to donate money through Patreon. Okay, here's my interview with Rob. Boys working on empty. Is that the kind of way to face the burning heat? I just think about my baby. So full of love, I could barely eat. There's nothing sweeter than my baby. I'd never want once from the cherry tree. Cause my baby's sweet as can be. She'd give me two flakes just from kissing me. Okay, folks, uh, I'm mobile again, but this time closer to HQ in beautiful Montclair, New Jersey. Today's human is. My name is Rob. Right. Rob, tell me about your intro music, Hosier Work Song. Work Song. Um, Hosier is, uh, uh, to me, like a really cool artist. He's um, not one of those people that's like really popular and out on the scene. Um, I mean, they play his music all over the place, but, you know, he's just, uh, you know, the things that he writes about um, have like deep, deep meaning. Like the first song that he came out with was uh, Take Me to Church. And that was a really, really kind of a controversial song. The video uh, featured two two dudes, um, and uh, he wasn't in the video at all. It was just a story about these two two I guess like twenty something guys who who had this relationship, and then you know, this, these other gang guys kind of uh, beat the crap out of the one guy, and the other guy stood and watched. So I, I just like what he stands for, the messages that, that he gets across in his songs. Plus, he's one of the artists, too, that um, sounds really good live, just like the, he does in the recording, you know. So he just actually recently released a bunch of um, songs with him just singing uh, acapella in the subway in the city. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they get like one, two, three million. So it's pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, tell me about work song. Why did you choose that particular track? Um, just the the actual lyrics to it. Um, it's it's kind of just about uh, I don't know. To me, it's kind of like about just everyday kind of people. And uh, I don't know. I, I I I really like the messages in all of his songs. That each of them have a uh, humility to them and a, a human aspect to them. So. I just kind of relate, you know, I put myself in the music and you know, it just kind of makes me feel better about, you know, the other, the other hours of the day. <laughs> so you mentioned, um, some humility in, yes. um, 
Hosier's uh, music. Is uh, humility important to you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of like the only way to be because uh, if, if you're not, then really who are you? You know? I mean, I, I, I tend to be the uh, uh, kind of person that I wear my, my heart and my emotions on my sleeve. And, you know, to me that's important because I don't see that out there a lot, mm-hmm. you know, which kind of makes me feel like a little bit of an outcast in a sense that, you know, yeah, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I don't see a lot of people doing that. So makes me feel a little odd, you know? Mm. So An outcast in the sense that most people are not practicing humility and you are or an outcast in the sense that you're wearing your stuff on your sleeve or both? Or? I think it's a little bit of both. I also think that now people are a little bit, uh, you know, they're all filtered by this, this, uh, technology where they feel like they can talk behind like a phone and not be themselves or say something that they wouldn't say to somebody's face. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that kind of, that kind of, you know, in a lot of areas in my life that kind of, I feel affected by that, you know, affected by the, by the technology. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people can't, you know, it's virtual. It's, it's not even two dimensional. It's one sided to me. And, um, you know, yeah, people just kind of hide behind, you know, feeling safe behind a phone and not being able to, to be their true selves. I mean, I, I, I also, um, a big part of that feeling came from me being in a relationship for 17 years and then getting out of that and like learning how to, you know, it seems like the world changed when I was, when I was encapsulated in that relationship that coming out and uh, trying to meet people and whatnot. It's a totally different world. And, and, you know, I, I never really heard of the terms like ghosting and, and catfish and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, what, what the fuck planet am I on? I don't mm. get it. I don't get this whole thing, you know, with this. And, and it's all brought on by technology. Right. There's no inner interpersonal connection anymore. You know, my, my texting you know, with me growing up was passing notes during periods in school, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, now it's like, you know, anybody can say anything that they want and then is it real? Is it not? You know? So were you a, a hard on your sleeve guy when you were younger? Always, always. I was always like, I always felt like a little, a little kind of outcast and a little, uh, loner when I was, when I was growing up. And, um, yeah, I mean, I always, I always kind of lived in fantasy, and I don't know why. I mean, I just felt safer that way. Well, you had uh, some family stuff going on that you probably wanted to escape, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I from like I was born in '71, and I remember times, a lot of good times in the '70s, where you know I didn't have to be that way. But as soon as I kind of started coming into my own and seeing what was going on around me and understanding what was going on in my family kind of made me isolate more and um, get into the whole fantasy kind of thing and, and, uh, and escape. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so is, do you think that's where the uh, getting into acting and stuff came absolutely. from? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. When did you start that? Um, I always wanted to do it and I started taking classes when I was 14 and uh, you know, I, I, I really got into it and by the time I was 15, I got a, a co-starring part in a movie. So it was like, it, there was no like kind of struggle to do it. It was just kind of like I started working, you know, I started working professionally and, and that was a way for me to kind of not be me, you know, it also changed my high school life dramatically because, uh, you know, I had a normal, I guess, freshman year. Um, but during, between the summer, uh, freshman year and sophomore year is when I did that movie. And, um, people didn't look at, I had me the same in, in school anymore. So, you know, kind of, that also kind of made me feel like a little bit of an outcast. Was it like, a, oh, this motherfucker thinks he's a movie star. Fuck him. Yes. Well, oh, okay. kind of, kind of. I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. I actually felt that with a drama teacher too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, here she is teaching in, in the school I went to. And, you know, I remember I couldn't make play practice one day because I had to go and do some shooting, uh, and uh, she wasn't too keen on that. Mm. It's like either this or that. And yeah. I said, okay, I'm taking that, not this. Right. So. Right. And um, so did you get, you got a, a SAG card? 
uh, pretty early or um, actually I I should get one I just don't have the money to do it oh right on. Yeah. Um, you know and the films that I've made and the films that I've, I've worked on were, were sad films but you know I just I never did that you mentioned coming out mm-hmm. what's that like or what was it like you, you know because I, I mentioned with a couple people on this uh, podcast before like nobody asks straight people like when did you know you were straight right, right. but you know so I, I understand like when did you know you were gay was is kind of a shitty question but it's also kind of like you know it is a realization that there's this like heteronormative structure Correct. going on Correct. and you're not fitting into it so how did you know you when did you know or how did you know you were not fitting I always into it? I always knew that I was different um and one of the things about me, which I'm, I'm really grateful for, is the fact that I didn't have any turmoil with, oh, my God, I'm, I'm a gay human being. I never, that never bothered me. It's just who I was. And, you know, I knew it was, it was, uh, I knew something was different when I was, I, I had to be in, like, fourth grade. And I would go to the bus stop early because there was this fifth grader. His name was Patrick, and I want to go, and I want to see Patrick get on the bus. And I obviously that's not you know uh, air quotes normal, um, but I, I was cool with that. I never ever had an issue. Thank God, I never had an issue with with coming out. You know, so family was supportive, friends were supportive, um, school was supportive. I didn't. I, I only told uh, a few people in school. Mm-hmm. Um, family. My mother said to me when I told her, she's like, uh, mothers know, mothers always know. And my dad said to me, oh, that doesn't make me love you any less. But I, I, he didn't really come around until, until really my last real long-term relationship. You know, he was just, I'm sure he was fine with it. Um, or he dealt with it, but nothing was ever discussed. That's one of the things in my family, nothing was ever really discussed. So I, I don't know exactly what he thinks. It's just, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that deep down it does bother him a bit, but you know, whatever. I mean, so they were I just change that. the type of people that bottle things and never talked about there was anything. elephants in the room and nobody would address them. Never, really? never, which is fine with me. I mean, I, I, even today, I can't see myself sitting down and having a conversation, you know, my dad will ask me things, you know, and, and when my, my relationship ended, um, he was kind of pissed off. He was pissed off at my decision and why I wanted to, to end things. And he did say to me, and this is probably one of the the deepest things he said to me was, you know, if I can go back, I would have never did what I did to your mother and left your mother. You know, and, and you just make sure you don't make the same mistake. What age did that happen? When my dad left? Mm-hmm. Uh, 14. 14. On Easter Sunday, my mother told us. My dad never told us that he was leaving. He left it up to my mom. And uh, and she just said, you know, he's, um, you know, daddy doesn't live here anymore. Oh. Okay. And that was in, that was in uh, the mid-80s. So it was like... It was a different time then, you know. Right. It was very different. So, so, I mean, I think I know what you mean, but elaborate on that. More of of my uh, people, the people that I knew in school had two parents, you know. Right. And, um, you know, as far as um, my uh, my knowledge of things, my, my family life seemed kind of the most fucked up among people that, that – uh, I knew because when he left, my mother became like this raging alcoholic and nobody else had that. So like my, my brother or sister never wanted to bring people home because there would be my mother like passed out on the couch. So it was, and, and I didn't know any other people like that. I mean, people were still together then, you know, mm-hmm. and there, you know, it's a lot different now. Mm-hmm. So. And then that's when you got into acting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, actually, it's a funny, funny, um, story. Cause I, I was always the one who really wanted to be an actor. And my brother came home one day and said, Oh, there's this acting class in town and I'm taking it. And I followed along and they stayed for, he stayed for, you know, maybe a month. I don't know. 
and I kept going, mm. you know, and that's how the whole thing kind of started. You know, I, it was my, that was also my escape to get out of the, the home life situation and the drama that was going on at home. You know, I, I, I couldn't express myself there. So I did it in, in theater at the time it was theater. And that's where you, uh, ran into a, a mentor who took yeah. advantage of you. Yeah. I, um, he was uh, in his late thirties at the time. I was uh, when I when I met him, I was fourteen. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the way that it started was, uh, I guess, for him to want me to keep coming to class. He he uh, he drove me home one night, and he told me he was gay, and he started crying, and. I didn't know what to do, so I just took his hand, and I was like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I think that action opened up the door. And um, and I, uh, I just allowed things to kind of uh, happen. And, and, and the whole time during that is when I got that part in that movie. And here is a 15-year-old a kid thinking, oh, my God, I'm, like, making a movie. I... I I didn't want any of that taken away from me. So I kind of uh, went along with it, you know? And then when for you does it, is it like, this is something I don't want, right. but it's continuing. Okay. I knew from the very beginning that it was not something I should be doing. And I knew that I was being taken advantage of, but I didn't. I didn't want the classes to stop and I didn't want him to interject with my career. So I, I, uh, he's also the one who turned me on to, uh, getting stoned for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I liked that feeling. It kind of took me out of myself. Even though I was living with an addict in the house, um, that, that, allowed it to continue and i did i did have conversations saying this is not right we, we, we can't be doing this we can't be doing this and you know it kind of stopped for a little while but um you know he, he would continue and i would still let that happen you know and the way that i dealt with it was uh just using you know and i i remember sitting in in high school and not thinking about, um, you know, what he was going to do or having to have to go through a sexual act with him. I was more interested in, all right, that's part of it, but I also get to drink and I also get to do drugs. And that was more important to me, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so that then progresses. What's that like? I stopped, um, I ended that as soon as I started driving. So I was about 17, between 17 and 18. And I remember saying to myself, oh my God, how do I get drugs? How do I, you know, find weed? And, you know, it's, uh, I didn't realize that it was a very easy thing to do. And there were other people out there because I didn't really have friends my age, you know, that did that. So I was able to, to continue doing that without a problem at all. And I, I, I actually, at the time, I mean, I was able to just walk into a liquor store and, you know, 17, 18 and just buy whatever I wanted. Nobody ever questioned it, you know? And so then it, you just keep going with it. When does it, when do you think, um, when do you first get sort of a clue that, that it's a problem? I was, um, my mother was away in a rehab and my dad had remarried at that point and was living in Pennsylvania. And he had said that he wanted to do some remodeling on the house. So I was living there alone. My brother was often in the Navy at the time. And my sister went to go live with my aunt because my dad, I guess, didn't want to take her out of school. So I was living in, in the house I grew up in uh, by myself. And little by little, you know, the wallpaper would come down, the rugs would be ripped up. And, um, I was there sleeping on, on the couch 
in this empty house with, with, uh, it was gutted basically. And I was, I, I just remember having a bunch of drugs and, and alcohol. And I remember this is it. I just don't want to do this anymore. And it, it, I just used and used and used until I actually took myself to the hospital. That's what I, so at, at 17, I knew it was an issue. So I, I never used to enjoy it. When I first started using from my teacher, it was a way for me to, to not deal with what was happening to me, you know? So it was a form of me getting out of myself, mm. you know? So I never, like, I never did like wanted to enjoy a glass of wine or wanted to just take a couple hits off a joint. It was, I need to be inebriated. And that's the way I looked at it. Anesthetized. Anesthetized. Yeah. Big time. So then then how do we get to 25 and the decision to stop? Um, a lot of people were pointing that out to me. I actually tried to stop when I was 23. And I tried to... I, I, I was For me, my mother failed at this uh, recovery thing. And uh, it never worked for her. So I didn't think it would work for me. I knew about... Uh, rehab, I knew about AA and, uh, I, I, I never saw it work. So people were saying, you need to try this. You need to try this. You need to try this. And, um, I did for a little bit. And, um, I had somebody, again, somebody who was older, a female, um, who was married and had, has, uh, children and husband was a big, uh, executive uh in entertainment and she said she wanted to have sex with me and i was like all right i i i can't do this anymore and i stayed for maybe for about 60 90 days and i just stopped going and i don't think i was done yet i wasn't ready and i was like see this doesn't work this mm -hmm. doesn't work it's not not for me and i just you know kept using mm -hmm. until uh until i got to the point where i just couldn't look at myself anymore i remember looking in the mirror and i was just like this is not normal. This is not normal. And I, I need to do something about it. And I don't know what made me, what made the light bulb go off for me to, to stay. And I've been sober for 22 years now. I don't know what it was, but I just, uh, I made that change, you know? So, so it wasn't one of these situations where you find where uh, people had, you know, a major consequence that it was just more of a, Gradual um, burnout and realization. Myself. Hating myself. You know, I, I hated looking at myself. And it reminded me, like, you know, my mother had died at the time. And it was it was uh, three years after she passed away that I was like, you know, I'm just going to end up dead. And I didn't, I never went to rehab because I've always kind of, I've been on my own since I was 19. And... Uh, I was 25 at the time and I, I was afraid that I would lose my house. I would lose everything that I, I had. And I was like, if I go away, you know, because I didn't have that knowledge. I didn't have any kind of knowledge. So I was like, this is my only option and I got to try and I got, and I got to do it. So, um, it just became a new life for me because I knew nobody in my life that didn't use or do drugs. Mm. And, uh, it's the complete opposite now. So it's, it's like, I don't really know people who use on a regular basis. You mentioned a relationship that you had for 17 years. Did right. you meet that person in sobriety? I did. His name was Mike. And, and, uh, and we met in sobriety. He was going through a divorce from his wife. Um, and, uh, you know, he was somebody that just kind of, um, you know, he's, he wasn't a stereotypical gay man. And he was just, I was the first real kind of male relationship he had. And we just kind of bonded and, and um, he chased me for a year, didn't want anything to kind of do with him. And, um, I, I allowed it to kind of just happen. And, um, you know, it just, uh, it was, it was most of the time it was great. You know, oh, 17 really years. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we kind of like almost grew up together and we grew up in, in sobriety together. You know, we did a lot of, um, a lot of things in the program together and a lot of good things, you know, Meeting, starting meetings and doing a lot of, um, you know, stuff for, uh, you know, outside activities for, for, uh, AA in the program. And it was, it was, it was, it was good. It was good.
And I miss him. You know, I miss him, uh, miss him a lot. So what was the decision to uh, end the relationship? One of the things that I um, craved oh, since I was a little kid was affection because I never really got that. And he was not the type of person to be affectionate. You know, we went to therapy several times about that. And uh, I felt at that point in my life that I was, uh, that I was missing something, you know, and I just wanted more. I wanted, I, I, I thought the grass was greener on the other side. And, um, you know, communication was also a big thing uh, with us. There was a lot of animosity because of, of my um, choice to be, at the time I had a business, um, I wasn't making a lot of money and I was following my dream and, and he was just a, a kind of a blue collar guy and who worked, you know, um, you know, at the police station. So he, it was very different. We had, we were very, very different people. And, um, I felt like I was missing out and I, 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 I don't think I worked as hard as I should have, but you can't change somebody. You know, we, we did, we, we, we tried. Like I said, we went to therapy a couple of times and it would work for a little while. And I, I also feel that he had a demons about, um, sexuality. You know, he wasn't, uh, I was the only male that he was really with, you know, in a relationship. And I think that was that, that played on his, his mind uh, a lot, you know, and, um, and that was that was a big part of it was the the uh, non communication really and the non affection. Then in 2010, um, he was diagnosed with cancer. He had uh, kidney cancer, and um, he had an operation, and it was fine. They just removed the kidney; everything was encapsulated, so he was fine. No radiation, no chemo, no nothing. He was okay, but that changed his life dramatically, and. Like I said, we, uh, obviously we were both in recovery and he started to have a lot of back issues. So the doctor prescribed uh, Oxycontin mm -hmm. and it, it didn't seem at the time uh, the epidemic that it is now, but he, uh, he became addicted and I, I became depressed and uh, I certainly couldn't help him with that I wanted him to stop and uh, he couldn't and I really changed who he was as a person the fact that he had cancer and, and beat that but he what he could he never got back to normal you know he was, he was uh, big into working out and stuff and he couldn't do the things that he was doing prior to that and the pills didn't help either so in order for me to not follow down that that path because we were you know we living under the same roof that was, that was also a part of why I, I needed to get out. Mm -hmm. so. And that's tough after that long to yeah. make that yeah. sort of decision. I, I was uh, the only, the longest experience I have is eight years. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, probably the last, uh, I'm repeating myself, <laughs> I was talking about this with the, the last guest that I was talking to, but, you know, like the last half of that was, you know, it was, we were just holding on because it was familiar, but, right. you know. You know, certainly not, not 17, you know. I mean, it was, it, I, I can relate to that because we were like that as well. I mean, the last, I, I'd say five years, you know, it was just convenient. It was companionship. The kind of, the relationship turned more into a companionship. And, um, you know, our lives were so intertwined. You know, we helped raise my godson. So we kind of went through like having, it was almost like having a kid mm -hmm. that we can get back at certain points and, uh, you know, it turned more into being companions. So uh, I felt like I needed more, you know. Right. Do you think, uh, I mean, I'm no shrink, but do you think you might have stayed too because this this person wasn't giving you affection and that's what you were used to? You know what I mean? Like It wasn't time, what I was used to. Yes, yes. But there was a part of me that wanted that yeah. really wanted it, yeah. that I wanted somebody to, I mean, believe me, he took care of me, but I wanted somebody to to be more physical, you know, to be more spontaneous. Mm. And, um, he always used to get mad because I remember at the beginning of our relationship, I said, you, you know, you're kind of like a simple guy. And I meant that in a good way. 
But he always joked, you know, uh, you called me a simpleton, you called me a simpleton. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't like that. It wasn't, that wasn't the case. And that was probably good for me because I was, you know, I was a creative person and, I, you know, it kind of kept me grounded a bit. But um, looking back now, because I, I found out a lot of things. Um, unfortunately, he took his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a large part of that had to do with the addiction. Um, and there's a large part of me that feels very guilty for that hmm. because I think if we were together, he'd still be here. And there's nothing that anybody can say to say you know, that, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. I did play a part in that and I'm convinced that I did, hmm. you know, because I didn't know, I don't think he knew how to be, but there are things that I found out, um, after his passing about his life that he never shared with me. So that, that kind of reinforced in me that he wasn't able to fully connect with me and what I was feeling and the things that I wanted were, were real, you know, some major stuff. I mean, he knew about the abuse from my teacher and, um, what I went through and I was young and I found out that that happened to him as well. Never knew it, never knew it. Something he never shared with me. And his sister-in-law told me as we were going through pictures to to get ready for his uh, wake and funeral. That was a complete shock to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can I be this close with somebody for almost two decades and not know that he had the same abuse? You know, and it was uh, it was pretty pretty uh, messed up thing that that happened. He was twelve, and uh, it was a Boy Scout leader, and. Um, the guy uh, was a cop, and uh, it started to come out that he was abusing kids, and the guy uh, shot himself hmm. and left everything that he had to Mike. Never knew that. Money, everything. And one of the big problems in our relationship, too, was uh, finance, financial insecurities, financial stuff. Because he, he, you know told me growing up, he never had money. He never had money. He never had money. And I think that, you know, his parents may have, you know, he was, he was a, a preteen. The parents probably took it and squandered it. And hmm. So he always had that issue about money. And even though you, you know, say that no one can convince you that you didn't have a, a part, let's just say, or yeah. an influence in that, in that right. decision. How do you, when did you get to a point where it was, that's something you can sort of accept and hold and live with and move forward. Um, I think that's the $64,000 question. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if I've gotten over it, mm. you know, cause like I said at the beginning of, of the show that, that, um, things are so different now, you know, we didn't have smartphones when we met, you know, and, and now coming into this world, um, I don't know how to, how, how do you meet people when you don't go out to a bar and how do you, how do you connect with somebody who I live a certain type of lifestyle and a lot of people don't, and a lot of people don't have addiction problems, mm-hmm. you know? So it kind of, you know, that's another strike against me. And the fact that I'm gay, that's another strike against me. Mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, uh, I don't know, I don't fit into a lot of stereotypes. Um, so that, that I feel like is, you mean within the community? Yeah. 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 And I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's just who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that stuff, I don't want to say that I'm uncomfortable with it, but I'm not used to it. Like I, I, you know, I've been filling out a lot of job applications lately. And when they ask, a lot of them ask, you know, what is your gender? You know, and usually a lot of them say male, female, other. Okay. I had one the other day that was all these things that I had no idea what they were. Hmm. Conforming, non-conforming. You know, and all these things, I, I didn't know what they were. I didn't know what to pick. It wasn't, there was not male or female there. There was all these other things. I'm like, what is this? And I feel like I, I kind of like, uh, have been thrown into a new time, you know? So I, just, I don't know how I got on that sub- subject, but. Well, I mean, you were somewhat insulated from that yeah. sort of stuff for yeah. and years between, you know, being in a recovery community and being in a 17 year relationship. Yeah. You didn't have much interaction with. No. No, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And there's a big part of me that feels 
you know, I'll be 48 this year, that I don't know if I'll, I'll have that long-term thing again. I don't think I will. I mean, I'm 41. I've just, I've declared myself retired. Right. And, <laughs> and I, I, you know what? I actually feel that way because I, I've tried and I've had some, some situations where I tried to make it like it was a relationship like it was. And it just, it doesn't work. And now a lot of people, you know, I, I, I started kind of like seeing somebody, uh, maybe about uh, two months ago and, um, yeah, everything was fine for a couple of weeks and then just disappeared, just disappeared. Like, okay, just, you know, this is somebody who would text good morning, you know, good night, all this stuff. And then just dropped off the face of the earth. Hmm. And I don't get that. No, and that's happened either. many, many times. I don't understand how people can just turn somebody off like that. So to me, that whole thing is a turnoff and I'd rather be alone than to feel that way. To get hurt like that, mm. you know, and I think, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? But I'm, I'm realizing that almost everybody out there does that and that that's okay. Where, where, how does that become okay? It's, it's uh, new to me too. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I've been a, a free agent for a while and I'm a few years younger than you, but yeah. how somebody could do that beyond me, beyond me too. Like, I mean, at least have the courtesy to say, Hey, not interested anymore. Good luck. That's all. That's all. I mean, just just have the balls to fucking say something <laughs> instead of just disappear and then not answer text. That's when I, you know, like when I, I was saying before, like I didn't know the term ghosting. I didn't know like all these things. And it's like, oh, and this is a common thing. People feel okay with, you know, I, I don't have to respond to you anymore. You know, was this person significantly younger than you? Uh, not that much younger. No, I mean in their thirties, but no, yeah. no. And I just, I don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah. Well, we could never, besides the fact that I like women, we could never be together because no, no. I'm not affectionate. <laughs> well, can, can I, can I turn the tables for a bit? It's a, a bit, I guess. All right. Yeah. All right. What, what, uh, I know for me, maybe I'm a bit more extreme, but do you not crave somebody to, hold you to take care of you to just cuddle with. I mean, did you ever have that? Um, I even mean, in your relationship? Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not the initiator with that sort of thing. You right. know? I mean, uh, I'm a pretty, I don't know. It's a good question. You know what? Um, when we come into this world, you know, we, we are, born with our mothers and there's a certain time period where we're all, we're dependent on that. Mm -hmm. We're always held. We're always cooed. We're always, you know, yeah. I mean, I fed, that. Yeah. you know, I mean, I got that too. Um, but there's, there's something I think organically in, in ourselves that, that long for that, that just that connection, you know, cause at, at a certain point in life in an early, early life, you know, it's got, you kind of separate and go out, you know, into, into the world and, and uh, some people get affection, some people don't. For me, I just, because I don't feel like I had that, and I don't remember my mother in a very good light, mm -hmm. ever. And I just, I crave that, and I just, I don't understand how people, you know, I, I guess I'm understanding it more now that don't want that. I mean, that don't want somebody just to, life is hard enough, dude, and, and sometimes I just want somebody to take care of me just to say it's okay, just a hug. Just a hug once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I like those. Yeah. They're, yeah. Not, bad. they're not bad things. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, that's okay. But I'm not like a, Hey, let's cuddle on the couch. Like, you know, you, know, you yeah. can sit there on the couch and I can sit here on the couch right. and I can watch Netflix. We don't have to be like, you know, right. snuggled right. together. Right. right. That would probably turn me off actually. Really? Yeah. A little know. too I just, much. I just, I, you know, the last time I saw this, this person, um, we did that. We went bowling and went out to dinner and then we came back on the couch, no sex, nothing like that. We just cuddled on the couch and talked. And then that was the last time I saw him. Well, I think the other thing too that I've done with relationships is I just, I've kind of gone the route of, well, we know we want to fuck, so let's mm -hmm. fuck a lot. Mm -hmm. And then we'll figure out if we really like each other. <laughs> to me though, you know, <laughs> and, and I, and I, maybe that's not the best way to go about it. <laughs> and people are more into that now than not, you know, I, I've done that too, but it kind of makes me feel empty. If I'm going to 
be intimate with somebody. I'd, I'd like to know their name. I'd like to know about them and, you know, but I, I have done the, just, you know, now the one thing about technology I can say, and I'm holding up my iPhone guys, is it's like a dick suck button. You know, you can just take your phone and you can get laid instantly. Oh, like grinder. Yes. It's a lot easier for gay guys to do that. I, I know to, I, to get laid. It's not really in me to do like, you know, one night standy, very right. casual sort of things. Right. But I've done a fuck buddy thing a couple yeah. times, you know, yeah. and that and that was okay. Yeah. But like, even then, the person has to be like, I have to have a little bit of like respect. I could do it with like a Republican. At, you oh, know, you know what I mean? God, like, yes, yes, like yes. oh, tell me how you want to screw the poor people. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, I couldn't either. I could not either. If somebody mentioned the word Trump and I was naked, <laughs> I fucking just kicked them right out of my house. Get out. I don't want you in my house. We're making sex great again. What are you talking about? Ugh. There's, I'm trying to look it up here and talk at the same time. There's a uh, a word for... Uh, a, Is it a, one of these new uh, new words yeah, yeah, that yeah. people come up with that I have no idea what they mean? Um, you have to have an emotional bond with the person. Sapiosexual? That's uh, for you like intelligence. Yes. This is like... Um, uh, I saw me demisexuality, demisexual. I saw that on somebody's profile, right. and I mean, I'm like, yeah. What the fuck so, like, is to this? me, that means like you're half sexual. Like, what? What are you? Talking, right. You know. Right. But uh, no, it's actually like you can't really have physical intimacy with somebody unless you have an emotional bond with them. So maybe you're demisexual. You know what? Maybe I am because I I kind of feel like um, you know recently I did the whole. All right, let me just kind of because I hadn't had sex in two sure. years. I can't believe I'm saying that. And I did, and um, I couldn't finish, and I couldn't stay hard. I was like, mm, "That is not me. I can't do this." Mm-hmm. Like, and it was two years since mm-hmm. I've been physical with somebody. Mm-hmm. I was just was like, "No, no." So maybe, maybe I am. But see, I don't know. I don't know these fucking terms. I don't like you know. Mm-hmm. Everything now has a quote unquote label. Yeah, and I'm like, it's just. For I mean, I I came out. Um, or no, I was getting you know when AIDS just came out, mm. so I was I, I was definitely afraid of it. And all there was was gay men and lesbians. That's it. There was none of this other stuff that people put themselves in. And and it's I guess it's fine. It's just something I don't really get. I don't understand. Maybe because I'm I'm older. I don't I don't I don't know what it yeah, means. Part of it, you know. But I think I mean I'm I mean I'm 41, right? And I'm straight, you right. know. And maybe because I have to teach about it in the in the program that I'm in, but right. you know I've kind of dove into it and learned a lot about it because I just like okay, well this is the world I live in now, so I was curious. About Did you it. feel naive? Like oh my god, what's this? I don't know anything about. This. A little bit here and there, yeah. yeah. But now it's like uh, you know I think for for a cis hetero white dude, I think I kind of feel like pretty good on those topics where I can actually yeah. like engage students about those topics and talk about them pretty yeah. well. You know, that's so, good. That's yeah. a, somebody actually said, you know what? You're a cis man. And I was like, what does that mean? I'm sissy. I don't, what? Oh, I don't, right, right. Yeah, I don't yeah. what, what? And I had to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I feel like, Oh my God, I'm so stupid. I, I remember guess, I learned about that one. I guess yeah. that's cause uh, I never went to college. So I just, you know, that could be it. That could be it. Yeah. I wasn't exposed to that. Yeah. You know, I wasn't exposed to, kids my age going to college and experiencing that whole thing. I mean, my life kind of just, I went from uh, being a kid to being an adult overnight. Right. Well, even, I mean, even though a lot of it, uh, I think gets developed on campuses, I mean, it, but you're also with people your age. I mean, it's, it's an age thing too, right? Like, you know, I didn't really learn about it till I didn't learn what cisgender was till 2011. Okay. Um, I learned about it like maybe, to a year or two ago. Okay. Right. So, I mean, that label really hasn't even been around right. to my knowledge much longer than that. Right? right. Right. So even when you would have been in college, you wouldn't have run into some of this stuff. Right. right. I mean, yeah, that's true. That a, is true. A lot of, we've come up with the terms for it. I think a little, little later, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, some of these things are, are, you know, people are like, oh, well, you just made that up recently. Well, no, I mean, people have been feeling it for a long time. Now we just have the, the words to describe it. I, you know? Yeah, I, I, I guess. And I can see, you know, just as you explained it, I get it. Um, 
you know, maybe I, I just have a little kind of like a, I distance myself from it because it's, it's, uh, I feel safer that way. Cause I, I feel more alone, you know, it just makes me feel kind of more alone. Like I always felt like I never had my own individuality. Like I never was able to develop that. So it's just like, I have this, this label and this is who I am and this is where I'm at. And that's all right. You know, so I, I feel like I never kind of explored so many things in my life because you were in a relationship for that long. Because remember, my oh, eight-year sure eight relationship was 18 to 26. Uh-huh. So when you're learning about, like, you life. know, life and how to navigate certain things and, yeah. you know, as a straight guy, you're sort of conditioned to, like, that's the age where, like, you go out to bars and try to get women to fuck you and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, that was right. lost on me because I, you know, I had the cow at home, so to speak, right? Yeah. So then I, I got out of that relationship. I was like, how the f- fuck do you date yeah you know, i was only 26 then you know, right but it was weird yeah it was weird i mean i still don't know how to i mean it's such a, it feels like such an awkward thing like like it's a job interview you know you kind of do i want to deal with this person do i want to know like you know i want to try and find out about them and but the one thing that kind of like scarred me is the fact that like i found out these things about mike that i never knew anything about so is somebody being true and honest with me right and you're afraid to be intimate and vulnerable and get hurt and i don't want ever to feel that way yeah. again mm-hmm. I, and 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 like i said I, I, and you kind of said the same thing i don't think i'll ever have that again you know i just uh i know for me it, it's 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 age it's the fact that i've gained 100 pounds in the last 10 years mm. um they have to be vegan. Right. They have to be atheist or right. at least agnostic. Right. You know? Right. They have to be pretty far left. Mm-hmm. So automatically, my dating pool is down to like a sliver right. of population. Right. So you kind of have that so same thing like, about, yeah. you know, like... Uh, never, it's never going to happen, so fuck it. Yeah. Now, some people think that I hide behind all those, you know, boxes that I need people to check. But to me, it's like, no, 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 no. I'd rather be alone than feel like I've settled for something less than what I think I need. And yeah. Why would you, why would anybody do that? You know, I don't, I, that's something Some I don't understand. really hate being alone. I did for a long time. Um, but now I'm kind of like, uh, I'm kind of embracing it. You know, the last four, Mike passed away four years ago. And I, I, I guess I had, you know, some, uh, non major relationship kind of thing with, with, uh, really one person and I, I I'm very comfortable now on my own. I, I, I live alone. I, I feel like all this is mine and I created it and I, I, I guess I'm feeling more, um, this is the way it's gotta be, you know, mm. which is kind of sad, but you know, and recently you've gotten, um, an increase in your creative outlets again. Or? I have actually, um, the way I've kind of dealt in my life with, um, a lot of these kind of uh, tragic things that I've, I've gone through is I, I kind of feel like Taylor Swift. I, I make movies about it. <laughs> you know, I made a movie. My first movie was about me growing up the child of an alcoholic and me being abused by my teacher. Um, and the last one I did kind of, kind of was maybe it had some things about Mike cause the character, um, I can give it away now cause the movie's kind of old, older. Uh, the character was married, but also had a double life. And, um, and the one I'm working on now is about, is, is about Mike. And it's also about, um, how to move on and being afraid to move on and coming into this world where you've kind of been isolated in a relationship and, and it's a different place and people don't connect and, and getting hurt. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, the part that I'm, I'm at now is I'm kind of stuck in the writing process because okay. I didn't kind of figure it out yet. Mm-hmm. You know, do I move on? Do I let somebody in? Cause I've tried and it just failed, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe the answer is, you know, being okay to be alone and be who you are, you know, cause I'm finding a lot of people are, are, are like that. They're very isolated and very to themselves. So maybe that's, maybe that's the answer. Mm. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe I just came up with a conclusion. There you go. Right now. There you go. There's your happy ending. The person is okay mm-hmm. with being alone. Yep. And it's they kind of, love themselves so much. 
exactly. Well, that's that's kind of hard because I don't know if I do. Yeah, right. Um, but but uh, another aspect I'm bringing into it is um, kind of like a ghost story thing because there is the the specter of Mike, um, and through that he kind of teaches the person that it's okay, it's not your fault. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's that whole kind of supernatural element. Pottery scene? No, no pottery scene, <laughs> nothing like that. But kind of like, uh, in a sense, yes, but no. Um, you know, it's kind of not like, uh, you know, not like, the, the, obviously he doesn't know that the person's there, but there is this being around. Mm. And it kind of like, you know, guides him in the right direction, you know. So it's it's pretty cool. It's uh, I've come up with some interesting scenes that that uh, you know. Plus, it's told in flashbacks too of, of how our our relationship ended, and why we decided to move on, and uh, so it does tackle a lot. It tackles suicide. It tackles you know addiction. It tackles um, loneliness. It tackles fear. A lot. Do you have a title for it? September Blue. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that when it uh, when I finish writing it, <laughs> which I'm going to do today. I'm going to do some writing today because I am feeling pretty inspired. Good. Good. It's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Um, the weekends uh, sometimes can be good for that. Thing. They can. Mm-hmm. Um, when I don't isolate myself. Yeah. Isolation has been a big thing. You know, I since this whole thing happened. Um, I'd say for the past year, I've been uh, Saturdays are my days to kind of to kind of just uh, turn off, mm. you know. And I fight with myself, you know. I, you know, it's my free time, and sometimes I just want to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's depression. It's it's uh, not wanting to face anything. And uh, I like my long naps sometimes. Oh, I love my Saturday nap. Nothing wrong with that. Take them away from me. Yeah. Um, time for plugs. Yes. Uh, we're working on September Blue. Uh, where else can we find your stuff? Um, my first movie, uh, Crutch, is out there. Um, it's on Amazon. It's uh, a couple of places. Uh, just don't download it for free and steal it from me. <laughs> um, Crutch, or Truth, uh, is the second film. That's out on uh, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play. It's in a bunch of different languages. Um, watch it in... Uh, Danish. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. You watch it in Danish. <laughs> and uh, podcasts. Podcasts. Yes, I do a podcast as well uh, called 203040. Um, and it is uh, with a friend Rory and Tim. And uh, so it's it's life's, life's views uh, from a 20 something, a 30 something, a 40 something. And um, I feel like I learn a lot listening to these guys. And uh, you know, I certainly stay by my stance of, of things and hearing a 20 year old perspective and hearing a 30 year old perspective who can agree with me on some things and side more with the 20 something. And it's, uh, it's interesting. We've been doing it for about a year and a half. I have about maybe 60, 70 episodes mm-hmm. out right now on iTunes and all over the place. So it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, you didn't record last night. Didn't record last night, no. Uh, Tim kind of skipped out, so he's taking care of his girl. Okay. Yeah, so, um, you know, sometimes I sometimes I need to... Uh, uh, doing a podcast is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. A lot of work. And, um, you know, doing it on a regular basis. Uh, you know, we, have t- we have a ton of episodes, you know, on the mm-hmm. website to keep up. And, yeah, you yeah. Know, just doing a lot of the stuff. And, it's, you it's know, it's, in some ways, it's harder to do the way that you do it without a net. Right. You know, like I kind of go into it having a bit of a map of where I want to go when right. I, when I'm interviewing people, right. you all just hit record and go. See, one of the things we don't, we don't do interviews really. We just right, right, yeah. sit and talk mm-hmm. and, and I don't do, really do a lot of editing and mm-hmm. I just put it out as soon as we're done. Cause I like that kind of raw aspect to it that just, you know, what you say is what you say. You, you fucking said it. You know, that's, that's how you're feeling now. Yeah. So it's, it's got that kind of real vibe to it. Like, you know, it's just fly by your pants, kind of like live TV in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like kind of, kind of doing that. And, you know, it, there are some things that I kind of jot down once in a while that I want to get out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think planning our show would kind of make it a different show, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, 
So tell me about your outro music. Uh, this was uh, Lucas Graham, Hold My Hand, yeah, correct? Yeah, it's on his uh, Purple album. Lucas Graham is uh, uh, this uh, Danish dude. He's uh, 30 now. And he, he just, uh, his music really, really touches me. I remember I was driving in the car one day and I heard his first single, Seven Years. And I was like, oh, this guy's got a, a good voice. But the lyrics of, of his songs, you know, I listened to the whole album. He's got a song, one song called Funeral that he, he just sings about his funeral. And, you know, don't be sad for me. You know, it's, this is who I was and whatever. So he's really, really kind of like, uh, kind of out there. He's had a rough life and I, I relate to people like that, you know, and, uh, the song hold my hand is, um, you know, basically about, uh, I'm not perfect. You know, I have a dark side and I like it and, um, this is who I am, but you know, will you hold my hand even if I'm this kind of person? And, uh, just again, like deep, deep stuff, you know, um, he, a lot of his stuff and the way he kind of rose to popular popularity, at least here in the U S is, um, he lost his dad. So a lot of the creative stuff he's done is based on pain. Mm. And this creative stuff I've done is based on pain. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's how, you know, I can relate to that because I do that. And that's the best way to do it because, you know, you get other people to relate, you know, and he certainly does that with his music. And I, um, it's a dark song. I'm a pretty dark guy. At times, so I like <laughs> I it. So, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, this has been uh, great. Uh, I thank appreciate you. Your thank time. you for uh, uh, allowing me to open up and, uh, just be honest about a lot of stuff. Right on. You know, thanks man. I'm waiting for the judgment that should fall upon my head. I hope someone is here to pray for me when I am dead. Will you hold my That was my interview with Rob. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, I think it's interesting. So they say when you get sober that you kind of start in some ways uh, emotionally at the age you were when you when you started using uh, and drinking. You know, and for, for Rob, that started at, at 14. And then, you know, he gets sober at 25, sort of immediately goes into this long-term relationship and then comes out on the other side at 41. And, you know, like I said in the interview, I'm not a shrink, but when you look at somebody who started sort of you know, anesthetizing at like 14, then just when they're getting, you know, sober and coming out of that, they're insulated in a relationship for 17 years. It's almost like Rob sort of had to start life all over again at 41. And he's been dealing with that, you know, for the last seven years. He's a great guy. He's an open book. He does a lot of service in uh, our 12-step circles. And I'm really glad we got a chance to sit down and talk. You can go to BrianTalksToHumans.net for more information. And very importantly, if you go to uh, that website and you go to contact up top, you'll see uh, not just the, the email and the social media contact, uh, but a button that takes you to Patreon where you can donate to the cause. I spent uh, a good chunk of money on the recording equipment and I have hosting fees for the um, RSS feed on, on SoundCloud and for the, the website. It'd be really great that if you're enjoying the show that you can uh, consider donating. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month and I think the top level I have is $5 a month. There's not a whole lot I can give away to patrons other than my undying gratitude and a shout out on the podcast. But if you believe in a people's podcast about everyday people, please donate. Thanks for listening. Stay human. Because the streets are alive with the sound of Bo-Fi. Can I hear it once again? Bo-Fi. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every box got a right to be booming. Because the streets are alive with the sound of Bo-Fi. Can I hear it once again? Bo-Fi. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every flower got a right to be blooming. Because all the freaky people make the beauty of the world. All the freaky people make the beauty of the world. Because all the freaky Make the beauty of the world. All the freaky people make the beauty of the world. Because all the freaky people make the beauty of the world.